want to continue our series on Soul Train. We've talked about an understanding of spiritual gifts. We talked about the fact that spiritual gifts are for today. Last Sunday morning, we talked about the reality of spiritual warfare and the understanding that we don't have to live, even though there is a heaven to gain and hell to shun, even though there is a great advocate and also a great adversary, even though Satan goes about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, that we don't have to live our lives in anxiety or fear because greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And God has given us this spiritual weaponry to allow us to stand as more than conquerors, right? We have the, we have the belts of truth, this understanding of Christ's character and his power. And and we can contrast God's power with the devil's schemes, right? Power will inevitably impact you. Schemes are only effective if you allow them to be. And when we walk in the truth of God, then we have an appreciation of our right standing with God, that breastplate of righteousness. Our heart is protected because of the truth that we understand. And so we walk not just in truth, but we also walk in righteousness. And when we walk in righteousness, there's this peace that we have because we know we're not bound by guilt and shame. But we're able to walk and to live the gospel of peace. When Paul describes the spiritual weaponry, he says that our feet are shod with the gospel of peace, which allows us to live this life of faith. Right? Walking in the word. And, and living out all that he, all that he has for us. And, and so we, we can stand. We can stand strong. And so we are, we are supposed to do that. We're supposed to be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. I, I want to I show you in, uh, some evidence of that in, uh, in, 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 in the biblical account and then talk about what life should look like today. So I want you to take your Bibles and I want you to turn to Acts chapter 4. And in Acts chapter 4, at the beginning of Acts chapter 4, it tells us this. It tells us that Peter and John, they are, they are talking about who Jesus is, this resurrected Savior, and, and they're talking about all that is available to those who put their faith and put their hope in Jesus Christ. They're doing this in Jerusalem, and, and they, they end up being, being taken uh, captives. It tells us this, starting in verse 1 of Acts chapter 4, that the priest and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people, and they were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed. So the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. Now the next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so were Caiaphas, John Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. Now Annas and Caiaphas, we know this, that they were deeply involved in Jesus' arrest and ultimate crucifixion. And now here they are, Peter and John are standing, between, standing there before the men who who were, were key figures in seeing Jesus put to death. And so they, they stand there before them, and they, they, they brought Peter and John in, and they asked them the question, by what power or what name did you do this? Acts 4.8 tells us, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this. You and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, 
but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Now that's a statement, right? That's some, that's some profound boldness. Here's what I want you to notice. It tells us this, that when they saw the courage of Peter and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men. Unschooled, ordinary men. You know, we, we live in a time period where there's a, there's a revival of the superhero. Right? Our world needs a revival. That's not the kind of revival it needs. There's a revival of of the superhero. It seems like every time we turn around, Marvel Comics is announcing another movie that they're making, right? And, and, and I mean, some of them, I, I think they've reached the point that now they're even having to reach, right? Batman versus Superman, right? Uh, I'm, I'm curious to see, you know, where they're going to go next, you know, the, 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 the Wolverine versus Aquaman. And, and I mean, all Aquaman has to do is get in the water because I don't think Wolverine can swim, but we have, this, we have this fascination with the supernatural. We have a fascination with the superhero. And, and I'm convinced of this. I'm convinced that there's a part of that that is because of the spirit that is within us that understands the supernatural nature of the God that we're supposed to connect with. And not only the supernatural nature of the God that we're supposed to connect with, but what our life is supposed to look like. Because I want you to notice that when it comes to Peter and John, the people there recognize they didn't have an S on their chest, right? They didn't have a cape on their back. They didn't have all kinds of, of, of really, really cool and exciting superhero tools to work with. They were unschooled, ordinary men. And yet, here is what we find. We find, them, we find them sharing the reality of who God is with boldness and praying for a lame man, and this guy gets up and walks. They, they talk about what they should do to them, right? And it, and it tells us this in, in, in verse number 21. It says, after further threats, they, they threatened them. They, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. And if you continue to read through Acts chapter 4, what we find is this, is that on their release, Peter and John, they go back to the other believers and, and, and they share what happens. And then they pray this prayer. For the sake of time, I'm not going to read the entire prayer, but, but I want to read to you the ending of the prayer. And here's the ending of the prayer, starting in verse number 29. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Listen to this, verse number 30. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Let me give that to you again. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Now, here's what's interesting to me. Why is it that the church doesn't pray that prayer today? Why is it that that's not the normative? Because when we see the result of it, it makes sense that we would want to experience the same thing that they experienced, right? Because here's what it tells us in Acts chapter 4, that they prayed this prayer, and verse 31 says this, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. God, let that be a reality for the church today. 
Friends, it is God's desire and God's plan that we operate in the miraculous, that we operate in signs and wonders. Signs and wonders are available to the church today. Not only are they available to the church today, there's something that the church should be embracing and walking in. So, so why, why don't we see it? Well, first, let's talk about, let's, let's talk about a, a healthy perspective on, on signs and wonders. Okay, first of all, I want you to know this, that, that, that the miraculous, when it, when, it comes to, when it comes to God, when it comes to those who are connected with God, the miraculous is normal. Right? Go all the way through the Old Testament, miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. Right? We see a widow, and she's pouring oil into jars, Right? And it just keeps flowing and flowing and flowing and flowing and flowing. Miracles. We see an axe head dropped in the water and an axe head floats. Miracles. We see two million people cross the Red Sea as if it were dry land. Miracle. We see a cloud by day and a fire by night. Miracle. We see Gideon defeat a massive army with 300 men. Miracle. Over and over and over again, we see the miraculous hand of God upon his children. Old Testament. We flow into New Testament. Miracle, 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 miracle. Water turned into wine. A paralytic dropped through a roof, healed. Blind eyes opened, the eyes of Bartimaeus opened. Lazarus raised from the dead. That's great. God did this in Old Testament time, and God did this, did this through Jesus. So that's God sovereignly moving in a moment. But where, how does that apply to me today? Well, let, let's look, at, let's look at, at how often God works through people who are unschooled, ordinary men. Even in Jesus' day, in Mark chapter 9, it tells us this. That Jesus is talking to his disciples and, he, and, and, and he's talking about this issue of, of walking in power, right? And, and John says to Jesus, says, oh, Jesus, by the way, there were these people that were casting, there were these guys, they were casting out demons in your name, and we told them to stop because they weren't one of us. And Jesus said, what? D- don't tell them to stop. Listen, if people are casting out demons in my name, let them cast out demons in my name. These weren't disciples of Jesus. They weren't fu- future apostles. They were just some guys that were casting out demons in Jesus' name. And Jesus says, that's totally cool. Don't tell them to stop. He says, for no one who does a miracle in my name can in the next moment say anything bad about me. Okay. Let's look at after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Let's look at some of the miracles that happened. Peter and John heal a man crippled from birth. That's the story that we just read about. Ananias and Sapphira are struck dead for lying. That one, not so good. Uh, uh, um, right? Anus was bedridden for eight years. It's healed. Tabitha is brought back from the dead. Stephen, not an apostle, one of, the, one of the deacons that was chosen, both Stephen and Philip, says he performed great signs and wonders. That's recorded in Acts chapter 6. Let's talk about Philip. Philip cast the demons out of people and many are healed. Philip is, is miraculously transported after preaching to an Ethiopian eunuch. How about Paul? Well, Paul in his life, Paul after being blinded while traveling to, to Damascus, he is healed. 
right? On the island of Cy Cyprus, a sorcerer named Bar-Jesus is struck blind, and Lystra, a man crippled, is healed. In Philippi, a demon is cast out of a female slave who made her master's money. Okay, amazing miracles like claws touched by Paul, uh, bringing about healing of the sick are performed. Uh, 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 Publius, who is a, a Roman governor uh, over the island of Malta, has his father healed. A young man who fell out of a window while listening to Paul is raised from dead to life. Okay, so we see these folks doing miracles. And they're, they're numerous. And this shouldn't be a surprise to us because 1 Corinthians 12, 27 tells us this. It says that now you are the body of the Christ and each one of you is a part of it. And in the church, God has appointed and then it lists all these different things. And then it talks about then workers, then workers of miracles. So when, when Paul is giving instruction to the church at Corinth, he says that when God established the church, that part of his design for the church are those who are workers of miracles and those who will experience and walk in gifts of healings. And it's important to understand that oftentimes in Scripture it will talk about the gift of prophecy, the, the gift of tongues and interpretation of tongues, the gift of administration, the gift of hospitality. But when it comes to healing, it refers to it as gifts of healings. And so it's an issue, it's, it's, it's a, it, it is a multiple. And what this means is, it means is this, that God will do this uniquely and he will do it creatively as he, as he wills. So we see this, that, 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 that miracles are, are normal and miracles are, are, are numerous. Here's the question that needs to be asked today. Are miracles for today? Because we can see in Scripture, we know that miracles have happened, right? But are they for today? And why is it, if they are for today, why is it that we don't see them? Now, there, there are some who would love to, 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 to promote and push what's called a cessationist belief, a cessationist view. The problem with a cessationist view that miracles were for a time period, but they're, but they're not for today, it, it's, it is contrary to the character of God. It's also contrary to the Word of God. And it, it, additionally, it's contrary to what the church has experienced. So let me, give you a, let me give you a little bit of a history lesson. So we know Old Testament that there were miracles, right? We know Jesus in the gospel miracles, true? We know that the apostles did miracles, all right? So when, when Paul wrote to the church of, of Corinth, he wrote to the church of Corinth in AD 56, when he wrote to the church at Galatia, the, the, the book of Galatians, he wrote that book anywhere from 8049 to 8060. Okay? And so when he wrote to the church at Galatia, he writes this in, in, in Galatians 3. He says, So again I say, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by you believing what you heard? Notice this, Paul in writing in, in around AD 50 to the Galatian believers, he says this, the miracles that you're seeing in your midst. Okay? Now this is a church that does not have apostolic presence. Right? It's one of the ministry outposts that Paul has established. And he says, the miracles that you see happening in your midst... What's, what's producing that? Is, is it produced by the works of law or is it, or is it a, a reflection of your faith? 
So in the, in the churches that we see established in that early church period, in that New Testament period, we see this, that miracles were normal. But it didn't, it didn't stop there, right? In the, in the first century, we see this, that uh, the writers of the Didash and, 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 and the Shepherd of Hermas, these are two inspirational books that were used widely in the early church, they witnessed so much charismatic activity that they find it necessary to distinguish between true and false prophets. And about the same time, uh, the writer of Pseudo-Barnabas suggests that prophetic ministry is normative in the church. So we see it all throughout the first century. In the second century, one of the big, one of the big known names of the second century is this, is this uh, Christian apologist. His name is Justin Martyr. And Justin Martyr, his argument is this. He says that, that God has withdrawn his spirit of prophecy and miracles from the Jews and has transferred it to the church as proof of her continued divine favor. So we see historical evidence in the first century of signs and wonders of the miraculous. We see Justin Martyr talking about this happening in the second century. And not just Justin Martyr, but also uh, uh, um, Irenaeus. Irenaeus is also, he is another noteworthy, if, if you study church history, Irenaeus is a major player in the second century church. And Irenaeus describes the gift of prophecy, discernment of spirits, and exorcism that's happening in his church, and even mentions that individuals have been raised from the dead. Now, he, he warns against certain false Gnostics who are trying to fabricate spiritual gifts to win favor with the naive. Third century, Origen of Alexandria says healings, exorcisms, and validating signs and wonders continue to be experienced in the church, just as miracles and wonders added to the credibility of first century apostles. Here's what Origen says, that they continue to draw unbelievers into the Christian fold. Fourth century, Augustine of Hippo in the city of God, he reports contemporary divine healings and other miracles, and he links this directly to the conversion of pagans. So why is it then, if this was the norm in the first century church, second century church, third century church, fourth century church, why did this not continue to be the norm? Well, there, there are a number of big factors. One of them is in 325 AD, there was this council that took place. Okay? It's the Council of Nicaea. It's where the Nicaean Creed came from. For those of you that are familiar with that, maybe you came out of a mainline denominational church and you know the Nicaean Creed or the Apostles' Creed. Right? And, uh, and so in 325 AD, there was this big council that happened. That council was done at the direction, the directive of Emperor Constantine. And coming out of the Nicene Council, the church started drifting and becoming much more political and much less spiritual. And, we, and, we, and you, can, you can see this from 325 A.D. all the way through the Middle Ages. And even into the time of the Puritans, all up until about 1898 A.D., the church just continued this unfortunate drift away from the principles, the promises, and the power of God. It wasn't that God had changed his plan. It wasn't that he had shifted the paradigm. It's that the church had drifted away from what God had intended. Now, now there, were, there were moments, right? And, and, and there, were, there were pockets 
If, if you study the life of Francis of Assisi, Francis of, of Assisi is 13th century, and Francis of Assisi is known for his vow of poverty, but if you read the story of Francis of Assisi, he saw numerous miracles, numerous signs of wonders throughout his life. And so this issue of, of signs and wonders, this, this issue of the miraculous, it, it is something that God designed, something that's been a part of people who connect with God from the creation story all the way through. It, it is something that was heavily connected to Jesus' ministry, to the totality of the new covenant, right? And then to the church. And not just the church that was led by the apostles, but the ministry that they created, and then ongoing century after century after century. And the simple truth is this, is God wants us to operate in the miraculous because they are normal. They are numerous. They are non-ending. Here's the biggie. They're necessary. 1 Corinthians 12 tells us this. It says, Now about spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that when you were pagan, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. That's a sobering statement. You know that you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. I want I want you to know, I want you to understand and embrace this reality that God is still in the business of speaking. That God is still in the business of touching. That God is still in the business of moving. Now, now here's what some will say. They'll say this. You know, Pastor, I, I prayed for my grandmother and she wasn't healed. I, I get that. Okay? And, and let, me, let me let you in on a little, let me let you in on a little secret. You're not the only person to ever pray for somebody and them not be healed. Okay? But Paul, Paul writing to the church at Corinth, I want you to, uh, I want you to take, your, uh, take your Bible and I want you to turn to, to 2 Timothy. Okay? And... Uh, and I want, you, I want you to notice this, that, that, that Paul talks about um, his, his challenge, right? Um, let, me, let me read to this, read this to you. He says this in, 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 2 Timothy, uh, in 2 Timothy chapter 4. He says this, he says, um, do your best to come to me quickly, for Demas, because he, he, he loved the world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. Uh, uh, um, Christians has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, because he's helpful to me in my ministry. I, send, uh, I, I sent Tychius to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas and my, and, and my scrolls, especially the par- parchments. And then he says this, Alexander the metal worker did me a great harm. The Lord will repay him for what he has done. You too should be on your guard against him because he strongly opposed our message. At, fir- at, at my first offense, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. Um, may it not be held against them. But the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength 
so that the message might be proclaimed and all the Gentiles hear it. And I was delivered from uh, the, the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. Paul's writing this. He is at the, close to the end of his earthly ministry. Paul knows that he's about to go before the emperor and he likely is going to have to give his life. And here's what he asks. He, he mentions that, 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 that Luke, his physician friend, is with him. Uh, and he asks, he asks uh, Timothy to bring his coat. He asks Timothy to bring his coat uh, because Paul is struggling in his health. Paul prays for people and they are healed, but Paul himself is, for some reason, is not healed. Not only is Paul not healed, right? Paul tells Timothy, uh, elsewhere in Scripture, Paul tells Timothy, he says, listen, you need to take a little bit of wine for your stomach. So Timothy's got stomach problems. And, and he... He, he, tells, he doesn't pray for him. He says, you need to take a little bit of wine for your stomach. He also, he talks about Demas, and he talks about the fact that he had to leave, had to leave Demas behind, right? Because Demas is sick. So here's the, it, now it doesn't tell us that he prayed for Demas and Demas wasn't healed, but a little bit of deductive reasoning would tell us this, that he, you would think that he would have prayed for his friend Demas to be healed because if everybody Paul prays for is healed and his friend is sick and he just leaves him behind, that's not a very good person, is it? So the Scripture doesn't tell us that he prayed for him, but we have no doubt that he did pray for him. Here's what we know. Not everyone that was sick in, in, in Paul's life is healed, but we do know this. Paul saw the lame walk. Paul saw people raised from the dead, but not every time. Not every time. Right? We, we, see, we see the disciples coming up upon a boy who is, he's, he's possessed. Right? And he throws himself in the fire. And they pray for him and he's not healed. Right? Jesus comes along, Jesus heals him, and, and, and the disciples go, okay, Jesus, how come when you did it, it worked? And how come when we did it, it, does, it didn't work? Right? And Jesus takes an opportunity for, to have this teachable moment. I, I have, in my life, I have, I have seen God do the miraculous. I have seen signs and wonders. I've seen miraculous provision. I've seen mirac- miraculous ex- expressions of wisdom. I've seen miraculous healing. One that, I want, that I'll tell you about that I didn't see with my own eyes but had an opportunity to know this man, I, I, I want to I share the story with, with you real quickly before, um, before we bring the service to a close. When, uh, in, in, 1990, in 1995, Jody and I moved to Brookville, Wisconsin to serve as the executive pastor of a, a church there, Brookville Assembly of God. And, um, and when, I, when I first went on staff there, I, I was transitioning from being the, a, a youth pastor. And as a youth pastor, I knew what I did. I hung out with the teens, right, and helped them in their, in, their, in their discipleship journey and all that. When I first got to Brookfield, I had the title Minister of Congregational Life. And the pastor told me when I got there, I said, what is it that you want me to do? And he said, you know what? He goes, I, at first, I just want you to hang out. I just want you to get connected to the people. And I was used to living just a very crazy, very active lifestyle. In fact, in the church that I had been serving prior to that, we had just gone through a pastoral change. So I had done all of the duties of the lead pastor and all of the duties of the, of the youth pastor. And so I went from that to doing nothing. I was like, this makes no sense to me. And so I would go and sit. The, the church there had a pretty good-sized lending library, a church library. 
And I, and I would go in there, and I would sit, and there was this, 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 this uh, very elderly man, Elmer. And Elmer was always in there. Elmer was always in there because his daughter was the church librarian, and she brought him to church. And Elmer would help catalog books, and he would help put them away. And so one day I was in there, and I said, I said, Elmer, I said, so tell me your story of how you became a Christian. And he said, oh, pastor, he goes, I was not a good man. And he said, but God is wonderful in mercy, and God just revealed himself to me, and, and I, I, I can't help but just serve him with my whole heart. And he said, my story's not important, but um, I just know this, that, that God, God is faithful. He's faithful. He's faithful, pastor. He's faithful. Right? And, uh, and so Elmer wanders off, and his daughter said, let me tell you dad's story. She said, he talks about the fact that he's faithful. He said, she said, pastor, he, she said, in, uh, going all the way back to the mid-1950s, said, my father was a hopeless drunk. And he was out drinking, and he stepped in front of a garbage truck. And it hit him and should have killed him. But he ended up in the hospital, and he had a broken back. And uh, they couldn't do a whole lot for him, but they did put him, they put him in, a full, in a full torso cast. And uh, they said, you know, there's not much more we can do for you. We don't know if you're a heel or not, but it is what it is. So my family, my, my mom and, and, and her brothers brought him home, said it took four guys to get him upstairs, and they laid him out on a door, right? They set up a door on, on I don't know what they set it up on, but they elevated a door, and he was laying on this door. And uh, so... Uh, the pastor of the church at the time, before, before the Brookfield Assembly of God was called Brookfield Assembly of God, it was called Milwaukee Gospel Tabernacle, and it was pastor, pastored by this gentleman, Pastor Flaherty. So Pastor Flaherty is going to come and pray for Elmer. And uh, by the way, this was all documented in the Milwaukee Journal, in the newspaper. And uh, so, uh, she, and she had newspaper clippings that she showed me. And uh, so they, the pastor comes to pray for Elmer, um, and uh, his wife shouts down and says, hey, the pastor just pulled up. He's, he's, I'm sure he's here to pray for you. And he cur- Elmer curses at her and says, well, you need to get up here and get rid of my cigarettes, right? Because he doesn't want the pastor to see him smoking. I don't know if you know this. If you're a smoker, we all know. <laughs> right? So <laughs> the pastor comes and uh, has a few uh, has a few uh, um, pleasant exchange a few pleasantries with Irene, and then they head upstairs. And he prays over Elmer, and nothing happens. Right? Um, I can relate to that. I can't tell you how many times I've prayed for people and nothing happened. So he goes downstairs. He and Irene chit chat for a moment, and then he they they head out. She follows him out to the front porch, and they're talking. And he's walking to his car. When Irene hears this horrible commotion in the house, and she hears Elmer screaming. Well, Elmer somehow in this full body cast has gotten himself up. He's gotten over the stairs to try to get her to stop the pastor, and he has now fallen down the stairs. It's not a good thing in a full body cast to come tumbling down the stairs, took out the banister, I mean, made a huge mess. And he's, he's shouting to her, stop the pastor, stop the pastor, stop the pastor. And she comes back in and he goes, stop the pastor. So she goes back out, pastor, you need, I need your help. Somehow Elmer fell out of bed and he's at, he's at the bottom of the steps. And so the pastor comes back in 
And, uh, and, and Elmer goes, no, you don't understand. After you left, something happened in my body. You've got to take me to the hospital. They've got to get me out of this thing. Yeah. So, <laughs> so they, they, they take him to the hospital, and the doctors go, uh, no, sir, you have a broken back. We're not. He goes, look, I don't. They made him sign a bunch of release forms, and they cut him out of that thing. The guy walked out of the hospital, and the next Sunday morning, he was standing on the platform of Milwaukee Gospel Tabernacle playing his trumpet. It was the event that turned that church around. And the church started seeing signs and wonders, signs and wonders, signs and wonders, signs and wonders, signs and wonders. Then it drifted. And when I got there in January of 1995, let me tell you what, a wonder in that church was if somebody raised their hand in worship. Right? A miracle was that somebody would say amen in the middle of the, uh, in the, middle of the sermon. I mean, that, was, that, was, that would have been signs and wonders. It was, it was the most dead Pentecostal church I've ever been in. Ever. And I would go into the library and I would, I would say, Elmer, we need to pray. And Elmer, we need to pray for signs and wonders. And Elmer mentioned to me, the first time I ever heard about that prayer in Acts chapter 4 was Elmer told me. And he said, Pastor, this is the prayer we need to pray. We need to pray this prayer for our church. So we started to pray. And I would go every Tuesday. I would go in. Every Tuesday afternoon, I'd go in. I'd talk to Elmer, and we would pray. We probably prayed for 18 months. Nothing. Dead. Dry. Horrible. And we had three services on Sunday morning and a service on Sunday night, and they were all bad. And then one Sunday, something broke. First service, typical. Second service, in the middle of the service, you could feel it. You could just feel something shift. And over the next six months, that church that averaged about 1,400 in attendance in six-month periods saw 1,400 first-time decisions for Christ. I, it, we, we would do church services Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday night. And, and the things that would happen around the altar would be, I mean, just we... You were amazed Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. I honestly, I was praying for people for deliverance and, and, and just seeing God do amazing things. I, a few weeks in, I started just, somebody would come up and they would stand in front of me and I'd say, listen, before you tell me what you want me to pray, pray for you, here's what I want you to know. What you want deliverance for, this guy got deliverance for last week. Okay? So, just to where you know, watch this. Come here. Come here. Tell him what God did in your life. 
right? And the person would start crying. They go, well, that's what I'm up here to pray for. I said, I knew that was what you were. That's the reason why I called this guy over. Listen, the same thing that God did in your life, his life, God's going to do in your life. And we just saw miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. I knew when I got to Calvary three and a half years ago that the same God that did this amazing work in Brookville, Wisconsin, that this same God wants to do something in Orlando. I had, a, I had a neighboring pastor send me a text this week, and he said, Pastor, I want you to know that I'm praying that God doubles the size of Calvary in the next 12 months. And it resonated with me. And it's not, about, it's not about the size of the church. It's about what God is wanting to do in our midst. Okay? Signs and wonders will accompany they that believe. And it's time for us as a church to live what God's people have seen since the dawn of creation. What has been a part of the church from its birth on the day of Pentecost was evidence in the church until middle of the fourth century it took an unfortunate left turn. That the church came back to About 1900, big time 1904, 1906, that this church has experienced in its history and that God wants to do once again. I want to challenge you to join me in praying that Acts 4 prayer and believing God for the miraculous. If you pray for a miracle in your life and it doesn't happen, you know what you do? You don't doubt. It didn't happen every time in the Bible. But here's here's what the Word of God tells us. We keep praying. 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 We keep surrendering that thing to God and trusting in Him. And watch and see. Watch and see. Watch and see what God does. Thank you for listening. We hope you've been blessed by the ministry of Calvary Orlando. We invite you to join us in person at Calvary Orlando for one of our Sunday morning worship experiences each Sunday at 1030 a.m. To find out more about Calvary, please visit our website at calvaryorlando.org. Here you can find our latest events and ministry opportunities. Thanks for listening and God bless.